Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. You ever bought a house? Some of you, you've only bought one house in your entire life. May God bless y'all. That's a, that's a good little thing. We, we're, not in that, we're not in that category. We bought a couple houses. And praise be to God, we've sold them all. And so um, I don't want to be a landlord. And we've, uh, we, we've, we've bought a few houses through the years. And as I think about buying a house, the, the, the first time we bought a house, realized that a house buying process is a process, not just a singular event. It, it takes a while to buy a house. In fact, it is, it is an endless process of next steps. You put an offer in on a house and someone accepts the offer. Or you put an offer in on the house and they don't accept the offer and you kind of start going back and forth. And eventually you come to, the, you come to an agreement where you agree on what the, what the offer is going to be. And then you start having inspections and the inspection comes back and you reach out to the, to the people that are selling the house and you say, hey, I want you to fix these things. And they say no. And um, no, or, or they reach out to you and say, well, well, we'll fix these things and not those things. Then you have to have somebody that comes in and fixes them and and it's just, it's quite the process. It's just one step after another, after another. And then you get to, um, th- then you get to where you sign the paperwork and you have to like do hand workouts for months leading up to it because you just sign page after page after page. And then you realize you sign your entire life away. And, um, and then you, it's the endless steps of trying to pay for the thing. It's just, it, it's quite the process. You know, Living life is much like buying a house in that it is a series of steps. If you're living life, I believe the right way, you're always looking at what the next step is going to be in your life. And that is much, not just what life is about, that is what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is about a series of steps that you take. And in many ways, it's an ongoing series of steps that you take until the day that God calls you home. We're starting a series in the book of Mark. We, we, we began last week. And one of the things we, we mentioned is that Mark is the gospel that's constantly on the move. In fact, it shows us that Jesus is on the move. Mark is a 30,000 foot view of the life of Christ. That He doesn't get bogged down in details. Not that there's anything wrong with the details. He's constantly moving. We see the word immediately come up time and time again. And we will see that word come up over and over again around 40 something times in the book of Mark. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Sometimes immediately Jesus went and did something or other times immediately someone responded to what Christ had called them to do. It's a book of movement. It's a book about next steps. Because Jesus is moving in the direction of the cross. His reason for coming was to seek and to save lost people. He was heading to the cross. He was going to die a cruel death. He was going to be put in the grave. But he didn't stay in the grave for he is risen. He is reigning today at the right hand of the Father. Jesus was on the move and he's called us to follow after him. Life is a series of next steps. And Jesus demonstrated what it meant to be a person that was willing to move in a direction with a purpose and with a mission, always taking the next right step. This morning, we're looking at 
those first couple moments of Jesus' public ministry as he encounters John the Baptist, who we talked about last week, the individual who is a voice in the wilderness talking about one who was to come, the one who would be mightier than John the Baptist. He, was, he had set the stage. And this morning we look at a couple of those first steps that Jesus Took. And then my hope is at the end of that to, to see how that impacts us and the response that comes from us as we want to follow after Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse number 9. And, and, and this is where we find ourselves. Remember last week we talked about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was, um, was baptizing people, a baptism of repentance But he was letting people know, listen, his goal was not to gather followers. Instead, his mission, his goal was to pave the way of the one who would come to save people's souls. And it's during that time, it's it's during that season of John the Baptist baptizing that we find ourselves in verse number nine, when it says, in those days... Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, if you're a churchgoer or, and, and you've been, you've been kind of in church for a while, this, these, these, these verses, these stories will seem a void of some of the details you might remember from, for some, from some of the other gospels. And the other gospels go into a little bit more detail, but as a reminder, once again, Mark is just getting to the point and then showing that Jesus is always moving on to the next step, always moving on to the next important thing that he needs to do. But we find ourselves where, where Jesus encounters John and he comes up to John, as we know in Matthew, and he says, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. And if you're familiar with the story, John immediately pushes back and says, no, no, no. If anybody needs to baptize someone, you need to baptize me. Because John knew about Jesus. Jesus didn't need to repent of anything. Jesus was sinless. There was no repentance needed in his life. But John knew that he was a sinner in need of salvation. So that's why he said that to Jesus. But Jesus responded to him and said, no, you need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. And here's what Jesus is saying. See, righteousness is acting in accord or in accordance with the divine law, God's divine law free from guilt or sin. To be righteous is to talk about being free from guilt or sin. Now, we can never be righteous on our own. We need Jesus to happen to us to be righteous, but Jesus didn't need anything to happen to him to be righteous. For Jesus was without sin. The only man to walk the earth that could ever say those words. Jesus was without sin. So, Why did Jesus need to get baptized? Well, Jesus didn't need to get baptized because he needed to repent. But instead, Jesus needed needed to get baptized to fulfill the righteousness that, that God had called him to, to really proclaim to the world 
that he was righteous and that they needed to follow after God in pursuit of a relationship with him. I like how one writer put it. He said, by being baptized, Jesus was fulfilling his role as the obedient son of God by publicly submitting to God's will to be wholeheartedly devoted to God while living in this world. Now, I'm, let me read that one more time because that's, that's kind of like word salad. But, but, but listen to these words. By being baptized, Jesus was fulfilling his role as the obedient son of God by publicly submitting to God's will to be wholeheartedly devoted to God even while, willing, even while living in the world. See, Jesus demonstrated what it meant to submit ourselves to the Father. And Jesus was always in the business of submitting himself to the Father. He came to be about the Father's work. He wanted to be involved in the Father's will. Even to the very end, right before his life ended, as he's praying in the garden, God, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted himself to the will of the Father and demonstrated the need for obedience in the life of a person. And there was no one more obedient than the Son of God. He was able to live out his obedience perfectly. And so when we think about this baptism of repentance, Jesus wasn't needing to repent from anything. However, he was wanting us to show what we need to repent to. Remember, when we think about repentance, repentance is turning from something, but then turning to something. We have to turn from our sin, we turn from ourself, and we turn to God. Well, Jesus didn't need to turn from anything, but he was demonstrating what people need to turn to. See, because when someone repents, they change all elements of their life. They're saying that everything in their life needs to shift from something to someone. They change all elements of their life. That involves attitude, that involves thoughts, that involves behaviors. And all of those things are shifting to the point to where God is the one that is letting us know the path that we need to walk. So it's making sure that our attitude, our thoughts, our behaviors are aligned with God. That's what happens when we cry out to God and say, God, I'm a sinner in desperate need of you. I am headed down a path of destruction. God, I turn from that path of destruction and I turn to you and I need you to change me. I need you to transform me. I need you to make me into something different. I align my attitude with you. I align my thoughts with you. I align my behaviors with you. And Jesus, whose idea, who's, who's Whose, whose ideology, whose behaviors, whose thoughts, whose everything that he did was already aligned with God. He was letting the world know, said, hey, you need to do this. You need to obediently follow after the Father. And Jesus sets the best of all examples by publicly proclaiming that God, the Father, is the only one who can save that the Father is the only one worth following after. And he was willing to outwardly express that. Church, that's what's needed so desperately in church people today. Not the church building. The church building, church building will never be outward, but the people of God must be outward. We don't keep our faith to ourselves. When we're in a conversation with someone about spiritual things, our ears should always kind of perk up a little bit when someone says, hey, listen, my spirituality is private. It's not public. 
And I get sometimes that, that, that the life that people are, are raised in might imp- impact that. But church, I'm just here to tell you, there is nothing private about your faith. Your faith is meant to be shouted from the mountaintops. And Jesus made public his following after the Father. He wanted the world to know. A couple things take place when Jesus is baptized like with, with the reason that it, it shows up when it does. One of the things that we see from Jesus' baptism, it was very timely. It was time for Jesus' public ministry to start. It was time for Jesus to get to work. It was declarative. Jesus stood there and he, he, he let people know that it's important for them to align their attitudes, their behavior, their words with the Father. It also had divine approval. Look, look there. As soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Could you have imagined being there at that baptism that day? Where Jesus comes down and he and John are having a conversation and you might not know exactly what's taking place. They're kind of talking a little bit back and forth. Jesus is saying, you kind of hear some murmurings. Jesus is saying, hey, you need to baptize me. And John's almost backing up going, hey, no, you need to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, 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 I, I came to fulfill this, this, the righteous. You're, you're going to have to baptize me. And so they go down into the water and John baptizes Jesus. And he doesn't say the words like buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. He doesn't say anything of that, but he he baptizes him. And as he comes up, immediately the heavens open and a dove descends upon Jesus and they hear a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Could you have imagined being there that day? I'm not sure that was normative. I'm not sure that would have been a normal experience. I could imagine some people maybe started running as soon as they heard the voice. Because I don't ever get this, this sense that, that God has kind of a little, um, is like a soft-spoken kind of voice. I just get this sense when God speaks, it thunders. When God speaks, there's no doubt that he's speaking. This is my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. He lets everyone know, this is the son of God. This is my son. But then he speaks directly to Jesus. With you, I am well pleased. It was the divine approval of what the, of the ministry that Jesus was about to embark on, but also it provided us a wonderful picture. And we got to see that picture just a little bit ago. As Pastor Greg was talking about and, and baptized John and we see John go down into the water and then John come up out of the water. What a wonderful picture of Christ's death and then resurrection. You see, Jesus went down into the grave, but he didn't stay in the grave for he is risen. And he set an example of what believers are to follow after, to follow after him in believers' baptism. Jesus' first step in his public ministry was baptism, but it didn't stop there. Jesus then found himself in the wilderness. Look at verse number 12. It says the spirit immediately, so as soon as he's baptized, it says the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. There's actually a lot more that's, that's encompassed in those verses that we don't get from here, but here's really what happened is Jesus driven by the spirit 
driven by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, Satan comes to Jesus and he begins, begins to tempt him and he begins to test him. And he does, does so by taking scripture and twisting it in a way that's gonna benefit Satan and not benefit the truth. And I can only imagine the conversation that exists there as Satan is trying to lure Jesus to worship him rather than worship the Father. And Jesus is almost sitting here thinking, don't you know that I'm the one that wrote this? <laughs> don't you know that I'm the one who inspired these words to be written? Now, because I decided to hate myself, I decided to pursue a degree in which I had to write a dissertation. That was a horrible, horrible season of my life because I'm not a good writer. It was a worse season for Brandy because she was the one that really had to write it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she did a whole lot of editing. Sometimes I just look at my paper going, did you like cut your finger and bleed all over the paper? It was just, it was kind of everywhere. You know, that was a long season of writing the words for that dissertation, but I'll tell you, I remember what I wrote. I don't, not like word for word. But if someone were to come back and say, um, share something about the, this, that, that, that little hundred something paper I, page paper I wrote and share something that I didn't study, I'd be like, no, that's not in there. I, I wrote that. I remember that. Brandy might even remember it, remember it better. Satan's trying to twist the words of God, but Jesus is like, man, I am God. And Jesus knew the word better than Satan knew the word. And as Satan would come at him with scripture, Jesus would have scripture to counteract what Satan was trying to say. Jesus would not be deterred. Jesus would not be led astray because Jesus was being led by the Spirit. Jesus had submitted himself to the will of God and was taking the step that God would have him to take. Jesus' first step of ministry was to be baptized. Jesus' second step of ministry was to be led by the Spirit into the desert, to be tempted by Satan, and really for the reason to begin the battle against Satan and his evil plan to lead ministry. And Jesus knew that partaking in that battle was important because he knows the end of the story and eventually evil will lose. And Jesus will win. Jesus took next steps. And church, we've been called to take next steps. If we're going to follow after Jesus, as Jesus is on the move, then we should also be willing to take the steps that he is calling us to take. So real quick, here's this question. How do you follow Jesus with your next step? And, and at the end, I'm going to ask you the question. I'm going to go and let, I'm going to go and let you know. I'm going to, at the very end of this morning, I'm going to ask you the question, hey, what's your next step? Because I believe everyone here has a next step to take. But start with this question. How do we follow Jesus with our next step? Well, here's the first thing. If I'm going to follow Jesus with my next step, then I need to act out of obedience. I need to act out of obedience. The first step in the life of, of a believer, the first natural step in the life of a believer is to follow after Jesus' example of baptism. 
You know, one of the neat stories I think that we get to see this morning are people that are raised in faith tradition sometimes that don't, um, either don't emphasize baptism after salvation or people that just never take that first natural step in the life of a believer. But if you're a follower of Jesus, God is telling you the first natural step in your life is to follow after him in believer's baptism. We see that all throughout the New Testament. Someone professes faith in Christ Jesus and they were baptized. Someone professed faith in Christ Jesus, they were baptized. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch having a conversation. The Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. He looks at Philip and says, here's water. Why, are, why am I not gonna get baptized? And Philip baptizes him right there. It's always profession of faith in Christ Jesus and then baptism. It's just the nat first natural thing. We don't believe that baptism is salvific. We don't believe that baptism saves. However, sometimes I think we underemphasize the importance of baptism. Baptism is not an option for followers of Jesus. It is a mandate for followers of Jesus to follow the Lord in baptism. And there is, so there's absolutely no shame if someone were to walk down here, here in just a little bit and grab me by my hands and say, Kirk, 20 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus, but I've never followed after him in believer's baptism. I'm a little embarrassed to say so. No, we're not gonna shame anybody. We're not gonna get embarrassed about anything. We're gonna hoot and holler and celebrate because someone is gonna get to get baptized in those waters. And as they come up, the world's gonna know that life change exists. There's nothing shameful about that. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, man, Kirk, I gave my life to Christ. I was maybe baptized as an infant. I gave my life to Christ later in life and I've never been baptized. What am I supposed to do? Well, we're just gonna have a good salvation conversation and then we're gonna get you baptized. And if you're like adamant and it has to happen today, we'll stay after church, that's fine. But that's your first natural step because it's an act of obedience. It's an outward expression of an inward change. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells those that are following after him to go therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as we make disciples. As we make disciples, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that, we have, all that Jesus said commanded us. To, to follow after Jesus is to live a life of obedience. And there are other ways that we obey God, not, just in, not through just believer's baptism. If, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been called to corporately worship. And if you're gonna corporately worship, you've also been called to privately worship. It's hard to worship corporately if you're never worshiping privately. You've been called to participate in ministry. And there are all different kinds of ministry you can participate in. And you know what? That changes over time. I think sometimes the reason why people get a little bit concerned about having conversations with ministry leaders is they think that if they say yes, they're signing up for forever. And some of you don't want to serve in the nursery for the rest of your life. Having served in the nursery for six months, I can understand, <laughs> am I ever going to get to leave? Some of you, you never want to leave the nursery because that is your calling. But you know what? I wouldn't change serving in that nursery for anything the things I learned, and the people that I got to walk alongside. Spectacular. But over time, you're, 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 the things that prick your heart for ministry might change. I'm not telling you what ministry you need to participate in, but I'm telling you this, if you're following after Jesus, to act in obedience is to be a part of ministry, not to sit on the sidelines. You've also been told to make disciples. We're gonna to continue to talk about that. 
You've been called to give. There's so many things that you were called to do, and it is about an act of obedience. How do we follow after Jesus with our next step? Well, the first thing is to act out of obedience. The second thing is, is to be led by God. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus and you're to take a next step, make sure the next step you're taking is the one God is calling you to take. Jesus found himself in a very uncomfortable situation. He was in the wilderness, 40 days of fasting and then being tempted by Satan. That all would have gone disastrously horrible if God hadn't led him out there. But no, he was in the desert because the spirit led him there. And let me just take a, a, a brief moment to, to address something that I think is hindering the Western church in which, we, in which we find ourselves. Too often we associate uncomfortable and undesirable with bad or with Satan. Too often we associate undesired or uncomfortable or a difficult situation with something that is sinful or something that is bad or led or, or, or is taken or takes place because of Satan. Know this, and this isn't to bring anyone down when it comes to the things of God. You just need to understand this. If you're following after Jesus, he will lead you into difficult circumstances and situations. He's going to call you to do hard things. You want to know why he's going to call you to do hard things? Because lost people are in hard places. Lost people find themselves in difficult circumstances and they need somebody that's out there that can walk alongside them during those difficult circumstances and situations. If you're following after God, he is going to call you into difficult circumstances. Just make sure it's him that's calling you and not you that's calling you. For seven and a half years, Brandy and I served in the United States military. We brought our kids along for the ride. We found ourselves in difficult circumstances. 30 months, we spent, a, we spent 30 months apart from each other in the span of those seven and a half years. None of that was easy. I was in Iraq for 12 months. I was in Afghanistan for 11, 11 months. That was not easy. It wasn't easy when on our son's birthday, one of our airplanes went down and I had to three days later do a memorial ceremony for two of our, um, for two of our pilots and one of our civilians. That wasn't an easy situation. But I can tell you this, we were able to traverse that situation because it was where God led us to. So when you hear somebody talk about a hard thing, that doesn't mean you need to go out and do that very hard thing. You just need to be spirit led and go do what God calls you to do. Church, if you're gonna follow after Jesus, he is gonna call you to next steps. You just need to make sure those next steps are God led and not you led. If they're you led, it'll be bad. If they're God-led, he will sustain you as he leads you. See, I don't think God will be walking by your side. No, I think God will be leading the way. Which brings us to this point. What's your step? What's your next step? This morning, we saw someone who took their next step. They'd been following after Jesus. They'd never followed up, but they'd never taken the first natural step in the life of a believer to be baptized. Same thing this morning in the first service with, with Trevor and Nadine. 
That was their first step. For some of you this morning, I believe your first step is you're not following after Jesus and today you need to follow after Jesus. And can I tell you, if you're not a follower of Christ, I know what your first step is. I know what your next step is. Your next step is you need to say, God, I'm a sinner. Will you please save me? And I'm here to tell you, he will save you. But then you'll have another step. Some of you are here this morning, you've given your life to Jesus, but you've never been baptized. You need to do that. You need to do that, one, because Jesus has called you to do that, but you also need to do that because the world needs to see that God is still in the business of saving people. Because that's one of the things that happens when we baptize people, is that people know that God is still saving. And I'll tell you, some of the greatest revivals have come out of people just getting all saved and such and getting baptized and people going, man, I need to have a conversation about that. And I'd want nothing more than to see revival break out in Benton, Illinois. God's had revival break out in different places before. And he could have revival break out here. But for others, you have a next step to take. Maybe it's being involved in a small group, a Sunday school class. You've been coming to church, but you're not, you haven't anchored yourself to a group of people where you're doing life with them in God's word. Some of you need to do that. Some of you need to be involved in ministry. Others need to be, you need to be making disciples. Some of you need to go home and say, hey, I'm going to start making disciples at home. And I'm going to lead my family to love Jesus. Everyone has a next step to take. What's your next step? Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's ibcbenton.com. Or give us a call at 618-439-3513. That's 618-439-3513.